Shout out to Clarity for supporting this episode and providing us with the samples. I've been battling allergies for years now. Let me tell you, they've been a real ordeal in my life. Luckily for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin clear with Claritin D. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available release sneezing, a runny nose, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to ClaritinD.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. It's always hard to get that first investor, right? That very, very, very first one who cuts you that first check that also becomes a cross-referenceable lead for you in future checks that you want to write, you know, you want to, you want to do. And I think, you know, seeing the traction that we had and then also coming off of the Obama election cycle, it just made guys like me a whole lot more relevant. I was like, oh yeah, actually this political technology thing, there might be something there. What's up, guys? Welcome to The Greatness Machine. I'm your host, Darius Mershazny. I'm so pumped to have you here with me. Now, listen, The Greatness Machine is about two things. Number one, people are living their passions. And number two, those who are creating greatness in the world. Doing both of these despite the odds against them. Each episode, we're going to feature interviews of world-class speakers and business leaders showcasing their origin story. What made them tick? What got them to where they are now? So it can help you step into your greatness within your own life, business, and career. Occasionally, you might hear a few solo episodes from myself, moi, as I say, as I leverage my 20 years in entrepreneurship as a CEO to help you grow and level up in your journey to scale your life and your business. So come be a fly on the wall, enjoy the conversation and messages, and I'm stoked to have you guys here. Guys, welcome to The Greatness Machine. I'm your host, Darius Mershazde, and boy, do we have a special guest today. My man, Tom Saris, is in the house. What's up, Tom? How's it going, Darius? Oh, doing so well. I've been looking forward to this show for so long, I can't even tell you. <laughs> so, guys, for those of you that are new to the show, you guys, uh, the show's really about two things. We're about people who are living their passions, and The Greatness Machine is about people who are creating greatness in the world, despite the odds against them. And Tom is no stranger to creating greatness, nor having the odds against him. Tom and I actually met. We met through Justin Donald, a friend, friend of the show. Uh, he and I are in the same Tiger group together. And and Tom uh, and his partner, Bettina, um, have a fun with Warburg Saris Investments. We'll be talking about that as we get into the show. But yeah, now, so I met Tom actually through Justin. Uh, we had a great conversation about blockchain. It was it probably could have gone on for like two hours. I was feeling bad like I was eating up too much of his time. But you truly are, man, really on the cutting edge of what's going on in blockchain. And we're going to be talking about that a lot more in the show. Do you mind if I give a little bit of your formal bio and then we'll jump right into it? Sure. Sounds great. So uh, first of all, man, welcome to the show. Really pumped Thanks. to have you here. You guys, Tom is an entrepreneur, public speaker, and technology executive. He was named one of America's most promising CEOs under 35 by Forbes magazine for his work with Rally.org. 
In 2012, he made history by raising Rally's $7.9 million Series A venture capital round, the largest ever entirely online. After that, he founded Animal Ventures, a venture studio which builds startups, educates executives, and designs comprehensive strategies to help large companies, governments, and SMEs take advantage of some of the most advanced technology companies coming into the market. We're going to be talking all about that, the blockchain. And Animal Ventures has actually led Tom and his partner, Bettina Warburg, who he partnered with an Animal, to found Warburg Sarah's Investments, which invests in blockchain technology and Web 3.0 companies and projects. So, man, you're a busy boy. Yeah, show, man. A little bit. Yeah. So let's, uh, you know, I always love to start the show, you know, I mean, and I, and I left out a bunch of stuff. You're, you're an adjunct professor at UT. You're doing, you're, you guys are doing so many cool things, but you know, I'd love to, you know, many of the people that come onto the show are entrepreneurs and, and I, I myself am an entrepreneur, as you know. And so, you know, I, I always feel like there's a thing that gets like like that gets people into entrepreneurism. Some people end up there accidentally. Some people it's fully intentional. Why don't you take us back into you know what got you into becoming an entrepreneur? You started Rally. You know, were you an entrepreneur before that? Yeah, take us back to kind of your origin story. Yeah, well, uh, Darius, thanks again for having me on the show. Definitely appreciate it. Uh, look forward to chatting with you. Um, so, gosh, I don't know where where does there's there's a lot of origin moments, I guess, uh, along the way. <laughs> Um, uh, I would say I've always wanted to be an entrepreneur, probably since I was a little kid. Um, that's probably been the narrative or the goal that I've always had in my mind was having grown up in Austin, Texas, actually. Um, yeah, I kind of grew up in the, in the era of Michael Dell and building Dell computer in the Austin area. And he was definitely somebody that I paid a lot of attention to growing up. But uh, I'd say ultimately, I've always been trying to build companies, make money, be entrepreneurial, um, you know, for most of my life. Uh, I would say, for the most part, pretty unsuccessful <laughs> uh, for, for a large chunk of that. Um, no, no way. No way. I, I don't yeah, believe that. Sure. I, I, yeah. I think that's the <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's the definition yeah. of being an entrepreneur is yeah. you get your teeth kicked in into a much. <laughs> Often and frequently. Yeah, these are dentures, right? <laughs> Me too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I guess really I started um, where, where I could say is probably the more successful moments um, was uh, actually started my first company rally while I was a student at the University of Texas in Austin. I was uh, uh, a... Um, you know, undergraduate student at the Macomb School of Business. Uh, and at the time, I was uh, pretty active in the sort of Austin and broader uh, Texas political scene uh, as, a, as a political consultant. Um, this would have been probably about 2004 or so. Um, so really pre-internet, pre-digital politics, uh, was pretty early on in, in how that technology was used to change the political landscape. Um, and so I was probably a, a little bit of a unicorn who was building political websites and, you know, essentially taking care of a little bit of a side hustle uh, while I uh, paid for college. Um, that really transformed into understanding a lot of really sort of key and, and core complica complications really to digital campaigning more broadly. As a result, I started building software with a couple friends 
in college to try and um, introduce technology to the political landscape and started um, actually super early creating a website back in the day uh, called campaigncrusader.com, which was um, essentially a website that you could go to and you could download public voter data and see how people had essentially registered to vote across the entire state of Texas. And you could uh, essentially print out a little list of voters for your precinct and you could walk door to door and, you know, campaign for your favorite political candidate. And that sounds like so simple, but back in 2004, it just fundamentally didn't exist, right? You know, it just it just didn't exist. Most people didn't even really have websites uh, per se back then. No, but, my, MySpace was the preeminent social media platform. That's right. right? Just, yeah, just yeah. to put it into context, <laughs> right. right? Like Facebook didn't even exist right. back then. Right? Facebook so, didn't exist. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Barely PayPal. Barely. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. Old school. Uh, the world's really changed, right? Definitely. Um, so yeah. Um, so that ended up kind of ruffling a bunch of feathers, uh, actually. Why? Uh, Why? <laughs> well, you know, and, and the world of political campaigning back then, you know, your voter list or your voter data was like a very closely held uh, asset that organizations used because it was really expensive and complicated to build these kind of complex targeting systems with old, you know, um, you know access databases, like wow. access. Yeah, old, old, old school. Wow, you're, we're, 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 being, we're getting dated right now. <laughs> yeah, definitely being dated with Microsoft Access, for sure, and .NET, right? Um, so, uh, you know, when I put it all on the internet for free, uh, because most of these political operations were using it as kind of a, you know, uh, carrot on the end of the stick to kind of get people to do things. It's like, oh, come do this thing for me, and I'll give you this kind of voter list, and you know, I just kind of felt like, well, that's kind of wrong. That's, you know, that's, that's not about political campaigning. That's not advocacy, right? right? You know, anybody should be able to participate regardless of their socioeconomic status and they should have access to technology and technology will level the playing field. So, um, I kind of just put it all on the internet for free and, um, made a bunch of people pretty mad that I did that, but ultimately a lot of people were really happy, Right. And so uh, from there, I kind of built a name for myself, being sort of a leading technologist in the world of political campaigning. And I'd say about four years later, I found myself on CNN uh, as a talking head uh, with, um, you know, what's his name? The CNN guy with white hair. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I forget his name. Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't watch it enough anymore. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, he's, he's a Vanderbilt. Um, yeah, something like that. I yeah, 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 yeah. his name. He must not be that famous anymore. <laughs> no, 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 no. He totally is. Um, he's but, great, uh, yeah, exactly. son. Yeah. Go. Anyway, go ahead. Anyways, uh, so I was on, you know, Talking Head on inauguration day, and um, uh, I guess it would have been January two thousand nine. I was in D.C. on Capitol Hill at the CNN studios, being sort of a expert observer of all the different political campaigning tools and technology that Obama had actually uh, deployed, uh, which was, you know, a significant advantage in his victory, right? Uh, and really kind of brought social media 
to a whole nother level in terms of, you know, its possibilities and, and, and the different things that you could, you, you could do with it. You know, fast forward to 2016, 2020, it's a totally different story. It's like back then, everybody loves social media. Today, everybody hates it. <laughs> right, 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 right. You know, they, they blame it for all of our problems. It's like cigarettes or something now, yeah. um, which is probably partially true, but we won't go down that road at the moment. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so I, I built that. I ended up on CNN and then all of a sudden, you know, um, things just sort of took off for me after that moment. Uh, I started building rally.org. Um, which was really kind of taking a lot of those uh, understood problems in the realm of raising money on the internet, campaign finance reporting, and then ultimately just broader, you know, data management solutions for political operations more broadly. And um, so we built out um, a uh, what is effectively a PayPal slash TurboTax for for political campaigns, um, and that was the original uh, rally. So uh, can I interrupt here? So so when you say PayPal and TurboTax, was yeah. it that this would allow people to donate? to their favorite politician or campaign that they want to yeah. support. And then it would what send them like a 1099 so they can expense it or something like that. Uh, even better. It would automatically as a political operation, it would automatically file your campaign finance reports. Oh, okay. Well, so this was for the campaign specifically. For the campaign no. specifically. Yeah. Which you know, campaign finance report is here's everybody that's donated to my political campaign and how much they've donated. And here's my current cash balance of my political campaign and so on. So we really automated actually a lot of the donation to campaign finance reporting process, which nobody had ever really done because back then electronic filing meant putting a PDF on a CD-ROM and mailing it into the, you know, <laughs> local uh, campaigns and elections commission. Right. right, right. That's not digital. I mean, I guess maybe a little bit, but not the way we would envision it, you know, today. And th th what year was this? This would have been 2008 that, that I did this. It's so, it's so funny. So this is what, four, it, this is actually when we get to where you do, what you're doing right now, just shows the speed in which technology increases so quickly, right? Dramatically. Shout out to Clarity for supporting this episode and providing us with the samples. Hey there, friends. It's Darius from Shazda here, and I have a little confession to make. You see, I've been battling allergies for years now. And let me tell you, they've been a real ordeal in my life. Allergies have been my constant companion. They stop me from fully enjoying the little things in life, from canceling plans with friends because of sudden allergy attack to missing out on an outdoor activity because of the sneezing fits. Allergies have been a real nuisance. Luckily, for those of us who live with symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing and a runny nose, itchy watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. I've been a Claritin D user for many, many years now, and let me tell you, it's made a world of difference. Since I started using Claritin D, my symptoms have improved dramatically. Now I can breathe easier, enjoy outdoor activities without worrying about sneezing fits, and truly live my life without being held back by allergies. Ready to live as if you don't have allergies, it's time to live Claritin Clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter now. You don't even need a prescription. Go to ClaritinD.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin Clear, uses directed. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. 
In the world of successful partnerships, names like Procter & Gamble, Ben and & Jerry, and supply and demand echo through business history. But when it comes to growing your business, who are the perfect partners? That's you and Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. We're talking from launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the, did we hit a million dollar order stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling shipping supplies or promoting productivity programs, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Picture this, a time when my business was facing a tough hurdle and I wasn't sure how to break through. But then came the breakthrough moment, a game changer that took my business to the next level. You know, what I absolutely adore about Shopify is its unparalleled ability to adapt and grow with your ambitions. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 75 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash Darius, all lowercase. That's D-A-R-I-U-S. Go to shopify.com slash Darius now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash Darius. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 14 years ago, right? Moore's law, speed of, of technology doubles every 18 months. And we're talking about like literally, you forget to your point that I was mailing CDs back then. Maybe if we, if you think of it from a consumer standpoint, Netflix was mailing you DVDs to watch right. at your house back then, right? Yeah. Number eight. I was watching and Blockbuster that. music still existed. Oh, yeah. They, they were not, <laughs> not, not quite, quite crushed yet, right? Yeah. And, and so, it's funny last night. So there's a TV show on Hulu called Pam and Tommy. I don't know if you've seen this, which yeah, is like, mm-hmm. it's, it's actually pretty interesting, but their show it's back. It, it takes place in 1995 mm-hmm. and I'm watching it. And you just reminded me of it because I'm watching it last night. It's, 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 it's all about like the sex tape and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Oh, sure. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's actually pretty entertaining. And then the actors and actresses look exactly like them, but mm-hmm. they show a scene where the lawyer basically t- t- Tommy and Pam are suing penthouse and the lawyer goes up and he gets the he basically gets the the hit the lawsuit, but it comes out of a fax. And I was thinking, <laughs> right? And, and you just reminded me of that 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 was this is this is what twenty seven. Well, I guess I guess now I'm starting to date myself. Twenty seven years ago, which is kind yeah. of feels like a long time. But the yeah. people were literally that was how you were communicating yeah. less than three decades ago, less yeah. than two decades ago. We're talking about mailing CDs in. So. The world is technology is it's it is a hockey stick that we're looking at right yeah. now. Anyway, I'll let you get, get back to it. But no, uh, I mean it's really crazy. I mean, I think you know if I think about a lot of the different things that I did along the way that got me to you know what I'm doing now, which is investing in you know Web three, you know crypto assets and blockchain. I mean that's 
it, it's funny how all the little pieces of everything that I did are basically playing out in one big tectonic shift of pretty much rebooting the entire internet is what's, right. what's effectively happening right now. And even some of the other things that, you know, like, for example, you know, we can kind of fast forward a little bit, but, you know, when I moved to Silicon Valley and uh, I guess it was uh, not, not too long after 2008, 2009, I moved to San Francisco and uh, I was sort of uh, raising money for this idea of building an online fundraising platform. And there were a couple of other people doing something very similar at the time. There was Kickstarter at the time. Right. It was up and it was really about raising money around like movies and things like that and documentaries. Um, and Indiegogo, um, Slava, I believe it was, was raising money around, you know, bringing products to life uh, and, and things like that. And we were very focused on advocacy, right, as a fun online fundraising solution. And, um, but that was like the very, 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 very early days of crowdfunding. Right. Essentially, which was, you know, we were sort of like the three main pillars of crowdfunding at the time in terms of brand recognition and people pursuing uh, different ideas in that space. And I ended up raising my first round of financing um, from a gentleman by the name of Mike Maples at Floodgate Capital uh, and Reed Hoffman at Greylock uh, Capital. Uh, two really fantastic investors that, you know, certainly when I when I think about, you know, the past and the history and all the different things that I've been through and achieved, probably provided me with, you know, some of the greatest amount of wisdom um, that I that I still lean on today, uh, certainly as an investor now in other founders. Um, and so, you know, we raised that sort of first round of financing. I, it was actually it taught me a lot about fundraising because I'd actually pitched Mike Maples a whole year prior and ended up kind of getting into an argument with him in his office about making money and, you know, raising money and, you know, metrics and so on. And, you know, had a whole pitch deck and a story and all these things. And then a year later, our company was just exploding in growth because all of a sudden the internet and political fundraising was a big thing. And that time I walked into his office and I had, you know, an infographic that just showed our growth. And he was like, great, let's go to the World Series. It was game two, literally. And it was Texas Rangers versus the San Francisco Giants. And I was like, well, this is fitting, right? Hopefully the, te you know, Texas Rangers win. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I ended up closing my first round of financing at game two of the World Series, yeah. uh, you know, with minimal pitching. <laughs> yeah. Like, well, this makes a lot more sense to me. <laughs> Definitely. But in some well, ways it doesn't. <laughs> well, 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 so why was it just because he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Story Shmori, like show me the, show me the traction. And then if you have real traction, I'm in, if you're not beat it. Was it yeah. Like I mean, I think that's basically kind of it. It's like, you know, um, it's always hard to get that first investor. Right that very, very, very first one who cuts you that first check that also becomes a cross-referenceable lead for you in future checks that you want to write, you know, you want to, you want to do. And I think, you know, seeing the traction that we had and then also coming off of the Obama election cycle, it just made guys like me a whole lot more relevant. Right? I was like, oh yeah, actually this political technology thing, there might be something there. Yeah. 
definitely because yeah. he that was a total early adoption right like one of the reasons yeah. they say he won was just because of his adoption of social media and tech right yeah data and micro targeting and all these different things that people were starting to understand you know in that space so 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 obviously um with rally you guys i mean you blew that thing up and and yeah. you know walk us through you you decided to exit that after what four yeah. years yeah, so you know, it was kind of growing. We, we I think we grew to about a few billion in top line payment volume. Um, I think we had about seventy thousand merchants. I had already been experimenting with other forms of equity based fundraising online. I did an experiment with uh, Naval from AngelList, right? Uh, which was one of the coolest collaborations I've ever done. He and I basically collaborated to raise the first ever Internet Series A through AngelList. Wow actually never been done before and so we we did it and i ended up you know um raising a bunch you know eight million dollars in 10 days basically over the internet um for the first time in history it had never been done before and you know i met a lot of really fantastic you know people uh you know tim ferris invested in my company that round and eric reese from lean startup and Kevin Rose, who was at Google Ventures at the time, had just kind of come off Dig and a few other things, and Michael and Zochi Birch, and like you name it, just kind of like a really amazing group of people that uh, I ended up getting to continue to expand my knowledge as both an investor now and an and, and entrepreneur. Um, so it kind of grew that company uh, till about 2014, I think, at that point in time roughly about 50% of all political contributions on the internet ran through my company at that wow. time, which was wow. pretty wild. Um, you know, we really saw, had a lot of visibility into how people vote and how people give to political campaigns and different kinds of causes. Are you guys enjoying the show so far? Darius here. And by now you might know that I'm passionate about a few things, pizza, Pink Unicorns, Core Values, and Down Dirty Interesting Conversation with some amazing people. However, the biggest one that I've spent most of my career on is entrepreneurship and scale. You see, look, my first few years in business, I spent like probably a good five years of my life getting my freaking teeth kicked. I mean, really getting crushed. And I learned a lot during that time period. So I spent the greater part of the last couple of years helping entrepreneurs scale their businesses in a meaningful way without going through the same growing pains that I did. And what I realized is that CEOs and business leaders don't know if they can scale, and thus they do the right thing at the wrong times. This causes them to lose clarity, lose momentum, alignment, and the bottom line is you lose money. And look, you don't have to do that. It's why I created what I call the scalability assessment, and you can access it 100% for free. That's right, guys. There are perks to listening to The Greatness Machine. All you have to do is go to DariusScale.com, that's D-A-R-I-U-S, scale, S-C-A-L-E.com, and there you can check to see if your business is set up to scale properly. It's going to give you a scalability score at the end, and it's also going to give you some clarity on what you can do next. Once again, guys, that's www.itsdariusscale.com. Once again, guys, it's DariusScale.com. And now back to the show. Can I ask you a question? If you had to like characterize like like any one big epiphany from that, from seeing that, seeing the behavior, how people make yeah. decisions, what would be like the one sentence or one thing that you would say is this is was an epiphany in watching people's behavior? Yeah, um, the biggest thing that 
I think I learned out of that, at least in terms of political advocacy, is really the importance of getting people to give at least a little bit of money. Interesting. Uh, because, you know, we would, we would do a lot of experimentation around getting people just to give $5, right? Like it didn't really matter how much they gave, but the conversion from giving at least $5 to actually showing up on election day to vote was like extremely high at the time. Interesting. Right? So it was like, oh, because you bought it, you're more likely to show up. Um, and so you could kind of combine small dollar fundraising with GOTV efforts to help kind of get people out to vote on election day so that you can, you know, have more voters out for you than per se your opponent. And then the other thing I sort of walked away, which was a really great lesson I learned from a guy named, who was also an investor and a longtime mentor, a guy named Mark McKinnon, another Austin guy, actually. He said, campaigns are always one on, uh, never one on issues, they're one on values. Mm. Um, and I've carried that with me, man, fuck, a really long time. You know, that I think is true in all aspects of campaigning, marketing, advertising, you know, nobody really cares about the minutia of the details. They hope they care about hope and change, right? Right. The larger narrative of, of what's happening and then everything else kind of trickles out from there because that's what you buy. Well, it makes sense, right? Core values are the fundamental beliefs of a personal organization, right? I, mean, I, wrote, a, I wrote a book called The Core Value Equation. So like yeah. you're talk, talking to someone that's obsessed with values. So Yeah, like, absolutely. Like core values. I said core values equals results, right? Yeah. So that's what my book, essentially the core value equation is that your values equal the conversations, your, your conversations equals your decisions, your decisions equals your actions, your actions equals your results. So it makes total sense. If my values align to the conversations I'm having with folks that believe what I believe, I'm going to go and I'm going to vote in that exactly. same way. That's, yeah, exactly. I love it. That's awesome, man. Yeah. So how did that, so, 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 so you exited that company, uh, yeah. 14. Yeah. Um, and were you just like, all right, it's right time to move on. Yeah. So at the time I, um, yeah, definitely it was time to move on. Uh, I was pretty much done with politics at that point in time. I had a handful of offers on the table, one to go be an EIR at a preeminent venture capital fund, another one to go work for some guy building a multi-channel network in LA and another opportunity to go hang out at BCG and do, do all sorts of different things. You know, ultimately at the time, you know, I was really, had been casually involved with Bitcoin. You know, we did a lot of early exploration of Bitcoin uh, at Rally. You know, you know, uh, there is legislation, not legislation, but there's essentially a ruling by the Federal Election Commission that says that political campaigns can receive Bitcoin. Right. As a form of political contribution. Um, and it's whatever the cost basis is at the time of contribution. And that is essentially a, essentially like a like kind uh, donation. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and so we did a lot of exploration around integrating that into payment flow for nonprofit and political operations. But ultimately, it was like, you know, this thing's so hard to use. I'm, you know, it's going to be really the fringe of the fringe that, you know, give Bitcoin because, Bitcoin, sending Bitcoin is actually not easy. <laughs> it's a lot easier today than it was back in 2011, which was basically impossible, right? right. Unless you were you know, pretty technical, technically advanced um, than, you know, say your average user. But I'd say in 2013, 2014, when the Ethereum white paper came out, that was kind of a game changer for me, right? Where I sort of looked at, 
you know, I understand, okay, stateful management of a ledger in a decentralized manner, manner. That's cool, right? For the management of, of, of a unit of account, Bitcoin. But beyond that, like what, what was its purpose, right? Um, and blockchain at the time, which, you know, people sometimes, you know, it's the Bitcoin blockchain and Bitcoin, which is effectively an app that sits on top of the Bitcoin blockchain, right? right. I never really dug deep enough into the blockchain tech itself until uh, uh, the Ethereum white paper. And it was really in the Ethereum white paper where they talked a lot about this idea of building a world computer. Interesting. I was like, oh, holy shit. Yeah. That is fucking game changing, right? Taking this kind of stateful you know, uh, network, staple decentralized network of computers and turning them into one computer through consensus, right? Right. Uh, And then because you have that, you know, using like Solidity as a smart contract programming language uh, and the Ethereum, EVM, the virtual machine, to effectively make the Ethereum network Turing complete, Right. And that Turing complete concept where I could now run software applications on top of that granted access to not just, you know, some, you know, normal software uh, solution, but autonomous and persistent software solutions, right? So applications that basically run themselves. So so for the the layman, right? They'll say, well, what, well, how's that? Like, you know, they're, they're probably have no idea that you're speaking a different yeah. language right now, right? Yeah. But, but for a layman, how's that different than now? Right now, it's a bunch of fragmented systems that are kind yeah. of on their own islands in their own little yeah. clouds. Yeah. It's a very complicated answer, but it's really this kind of like autonomous nature, right? Uh, that's a real big difference. It'd be like having Facebook, but no Mark Zuckerberg no employees, no Sheryl Sandberg, no board of directors, no employees, right? It's soft. Facebook is just software, right? Right. It's software with algorithms that are sort of a two-sided network, right? Or maybe perhaps a direct network, however you want to position it, right? That matches, you know, my friends. And then with my friends, I match those with advertisers, right? Right. And an algorithm does most of that. Right, it analyzes your data and sends invitations to friends, and it's relatively autonomous for the most part, right? Um, so the idea with Web three is this idea that I can build a Facebook, I can open source it, I can wrap it essentially with the issuance of say a billion tokens, governance tokens, Facebook governance tokens, if you want to think about it that way. As a holder of Facebook governance tokens, you know, I, I am participating in the value of the software, but there's, but there's no centralized, you know, organization that's managing it and running it every single day. Those who hold the tokens themselves uh, are the ones that are participating in the governance mandate of the software itself, like what kinds of features to have or uh, what should be on the product roadmap or whether or not the software should set aside its own legal defense fund, right? Or hire freelance customer support, right? So ultimately at the end of the day, we work for software, right? We don't necessarily work for a company, right? And Interesting. Is the future so, of work stuff as well too. 
So when you say work for software, it, 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 when, when you're saying that this is kind of like a DAO, essentially, is that yeah. kind of... So yes, yeah, DAOs have always been the future, right? Um, you know, aut- aut- decentralized autonomous organizations, you know, this essentially being able, turning software itself into this kind of like autonomous company, right? So it's um, where all work for. And the software rewards you. So like, for example, if I'm a developer and I contribute to the open source code base of Facebook in the future, the Facebook open source software rewards me with tokens if my code commit is accepted, right? Mm-hmm. And that's kind of how I get paid. So now I become a key stakeholder, right? And I, and I want that software. Or I could be something simple, like maybe I'm just providing customer support. And every single time I provide customer support to some other future Facebook user, the Facebook network rewards me with Facebook tokens, right? It's kind of like payday. Yeah. Well, so it could, one way of also thinking about it also is right now, because it's a more traditional company is if I'm, if let's say there's people, I mean, there's people that live on Facebook, right? Like just users yeah. that are in there. The ones that are making it the most valuable. Yeah. They're, they're literally create making, creating value that, yeah. that the shareholders get and they get right. zero, literally nothing for it. Not zero. So, yeah. so this, this kind of flips it inside out where it's like, no, like what you contribute, you get, it's not yeah. like this. It's, I mean, it really is a fundamental shift in fundamental. how value is exchanged. Yeah. Right? Yeah, it is. It's basically like saying, you know, those who, those who create the value should reap the value. Right. right? Which, which logically makes really a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense. Right. It's like, man, if I'm going to write all the code, I should get a lot of the tokens. If I'm going to, you know, provide a lot of the day-to-day support, or if I'm just going to sit there and use it all day long, pumping it with data and content, right, I should be rewarded for that too, because that's feeding the machine that then turns around and sells ads to advertisers and generates revenue, right? So, so right now, we're, you know, it's, it's I, I think it's really appropriate that we were talking about, you know, mailing CDs and DVDs yeah. and fax machines yeah. and how even 04 when you started doing Campaign Crusader, how that was so, you know, mm-hmm. just being able to give people information, yeah. you know, like for free that they couldn't get for free before. The, yeah. We've come so far in such a short period of time. Yeah. And I know that I like, you know, I'm, I'm Gen X, I'm 43 years old. I'm, I'm, and I'm, in these conversations and a lot of it sounds like I'm like, wow, this is really cut. This is really out there, but, and I'm in Austin, right. Which is, this is like a crypto haven from what I understand. Yeah. Right. So yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm talking to a lot of people and, and this is, this is as cutting edge, if not more cutting edge than internet 2000 or 1994, 95, right? Like, like this is, it's the next version of the internet, right? That's kind of the way I think about it. It's like, we're going from web two to web three. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. 
Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. So, so and my feelings are because of all the technology surrounding this, it's not going to take 20 years to adopt. It's probably going to take like five to 10 years to adopt. Yeah, I mean, what less. are your thoughts around adoption and what what, yeah. what what that looks like? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, a lot of people seem to forget that, you know, Bitcoin's been around for almost a decade, over a decade at this point, right? Um, you know, it's, it's actually been around a really long time. You know, I would say when I look at the timeline of Web3, right, you have Bitcoin, which was definitely solve the double spend problem, right? What they, what they basically solved was the ability to create digital uniqueness, right? That's what it solved, right? By having a stateful and persistent ledger that's managed in a decentralized manner, right? right. Um, and as a result, now I can have digital uniqueness. Um, so things that are fundamentally have unique digital provenance, uh, which is a powerful concept if you think about all the different areas of our life where we provenance matters, right? Then we went to, then uh, uh, in 2013, uh, Vitalik Buterin said, well, hey, what if I make this thing turn complete, right? And turn it into a computer. Uh, all of a sudden, you know, that became sort of blockchain, you know, version 2.0. Um, and that was such a, you know, big shift in, in, in terms of how things worked and probably what I would say is really truly the dawn of Web3, right? Uh, because it became much more than just, you know, the management of a ledger it came like, well, hey, I can build apps on this thing. I can build entire economies on this thing. Uh, the metaverse, I can build the metaverse on this thing. And then, you know, we've sort of now transitioned into kind of blockchains kind of 3.0, which is really just kind of more or less you know, significant upgrades to this idea that a blockchain can be a computer, right? Um, and so now you have Flow and Definity and Near and Polkadot and uh, Luxo and so on. These are all uh, what you would call layer one uh, blockchain computers, right? Uh, you know, what they basically, you know, provide is a stateful and persistent virtual machine that's effectively sits in the cloud that anybody can use and anybody can build applications on top of. Uh, and much like the internet, right, it's kind of broken down into three rep, you know, three overly simplified uh, layers of the tech stack, right? Infrastructure, middleware, and applications, right? We've, we've had this before, right? The internet is effectively structured in this manner. Um, we have a, an underlying protocol, it's called TCPIP. 95% of the world's communication traffic runs over it. Right? We have middleware. We have companies like you know, Akamai and MySQL that provide and enable services to developers that want to build applications, right? So if I want to do live streaming, I would use a content delivery network like Akamai by integrating that into my application or Amazon Web Services for hosting in cloud as a middleware solution for storage. Um, and so, you know, that's been kind of happening. And most of the, you know, there was no value really at the infrastructure layer, right? TCPIP, which was uh, invented by the IEEE, right, and released in the sort of mid to late 90s, you couldn't own a piece of that. It was 
free. It was open source. Anybody could use it. Anyone can install it. But what it what that did is that created as a net result, essentially an international standard that everybody used, right? If you go back to the mid to late 90s, we had a protocol war, right? Honeywell had their own internet protocol and IBM had an internet protocol. Decker had an internet protocol, right? The IEEE had a protocol and ultimately TCP IP won and beat them all out, right? For a variety of reasons, right? Once that was established, then you had all these kind of middleware companies that created value by making it really easy for people to build things on top of it, right? And then you have extremely valuable companies built on top of that at the application layer, like Amazon, Facebook, YouTube, Uber, and so on, right? All the apps that we know and love today. Uh, In Web3, the same infrastructure basically exists, right? It's just that the underlying protocol really is blockchain, right? Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of competing protocols, right? We're, We're what we would say is we're in the protocol wars all over again. Right. Right. You where you have, you know, Polkadot and Ethereum and Flow and Near and these different layer ones all battling it out to become the dominant blockchain that basically everybody in the entire world uses. Right. And do you, so do you think there will only be one winner? Or do you I think do. It, yeah. Oh. Yeah. I think, you know, what will end up happening is one blockchain will essentially become the primary main net. Right, that and all other blockchains will effectively become side chains or subnets to that main net. Okay. Um, for a variety of reasons, right? Uh, but I think the main principal region is the uh, reason is that um, you know technology tends to gravitate towards the most efficient path, right? And so when you look at the history of, you know, let's call it the last hundred years. Right. Where we went from, you know, if we wanted to call each other, right, you could run a cable from my house to your house. And that was great. We could talk to each other. But the second that I wanted to go run, talk to somebody else, I had to run a cable from my house to their house. Super crazy expensive to do that at scale. So we introduced operators, right? And these operators sat in the middle of them. And you called the operator and they're like, oh, yeah, let me like switch you and like, you know, all these kind of like switches and stuff, relays, right? Uh, that relay me to a hub and then from that hub to you, right? And that was more efficient, but still inefficient, right? Because I had to go through the, the relay, right? right? And that just added latency to the transaction more broadly. Um, then we said, cool, well, we did that at scale, right? We could, we could call each other all over the country, Um but then we decided to take that same concept and turn it into the internet, right? And, and in fact, we have virtual relays in the internet, right? Where you virtually relay traffic. Uh, it happens in, you know, milliseconds or less when that, when, when that does it. Uh, but ultimately, we still have this kind of relay concept. It's just faster. It's, it's more efficient than the previous version, but not 100% efficient. Right. And you gain maximum efficiency, when we're all running on the same blockchain, right? right? Because that basically means we're all running in the same stateful environment. And because it's persistent, it's persistent for everyone. So we all have the same history, right? Right. And, you know, we have essentially a shared reality, right? And my application doesn't need to do an API call to your application and get permissions with an API key, 
I literally just call the function inside your other application to get what I want. Right. I don't need anybody's permission to do that. Wow. And that makes the internet extremely composable, right? That means things that you build and things that John builds and that I build, I, those are now Legos. They talk to each other. Yeah. So yeah, direct without the API inter- relay, right? So that makes, that makes total yeah, sense. Yeah. So now because you're removing the relay, right, you've now got maximum efficiency. And so a lot of people talk about like, well, but you can bridge this blockchain to that blockchain and there's going to be portability of assets. No. Why would that you do- blockchain doesn't talk to that blockchain, period. Yep. <laughs> You're two deterministic machines that are unrelated. And, right? and why would and why would you need to have that if yeah. you could just have everyone on one blockchain? <laughs> Correct. Like, well, like, yeah. And and the reality is a bridge is an inefficiency, right? Because right. what you're actually doing, right? If you if you dig into the technical nature of it, I'm taking an ETH, a Bitcoin asset, right? And I'm locking it on Bitcoin, right? And then I'm turning around and creating a WBTC wrapped Bitcoin on Ethereum, right? And then I can use that same Bitcoin from the Bitcoin network now on Ethereum, but it's technically an ERC-20 that's got a key inside of it that allows me to unlock the locked Bitcoin when I decide to burn this one, right? right? And so it's like, okay, even if it's like milliseconds, microseconds, it's still a relay, right? To go back and forth between Bitcoin and wrapped Bitcoin in order to move an asset from one network to another, right? It's just a derivative asset. Right. And so, you know, that inefficiency, yeah, you can do that at scale. It's really fast, but it's still inefficient. If we're running on the same stateful and persistent virtual machine, yeah, there is no latency other yeah. than the, the speed of the machine itself. Oh, man. <laughs> I, I knew this was going to happen. That's totally we, nerdy. <laughs> no, 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 no. This is awesome. I'm like, we're yeah. going to be, we're going to be five minutes over and only halfway sure. through and only halfway through this show. Um, That's great. <laughs> hey, Tom, I'm, I'm going to ask, I'm going to make a proposal for you to come back yeah. and we do part two of this because sure. I'm literally, I knew th- I was like 45 minutes of me and Tom is like a joke. Yeah. Um, yeah. Man, this is so incredible. Yeah, I love, great. I love the way you think about this. Uh, it excites me for the future. Um, why don't we do this? Let's put a pin in this. Yeah, I want to. I want to do part two of this. If you're down, you down sure. for that? Happy to. Oh, that'd be awesome. Um, why don't we? Um, for people that want to learn more about your brilliant brain and the the things you guys are doing, where should they check you guys out? Warburgseris.com. W a r b u r g s e r r e s dot com. Warburgseris.com. Guys, um, so those of you that are listening to the show, we'll put this in the show notes, but go check out Warburg Sarah's. Also, Animal Ventures, is that, is that another place for people to connect with you guys? Yeah, they can. It's kind of old old stuff, though, because we're, we're pretty much only investing these days. So, yeah, yeah. Old, yeah. For, old for you and new for 99% <laughs> yeah. of the world who, who like, literally, we yeah. just spent 42 minutes and they're like... I I, we haven't what, even what, gotten past the computer yet. <laughs> I know, I know. The, the, most of our listeners... is even cooler. <laughs> Most of the listeners are like, you lost me after the campaign stuff. Yeah, um, <laughs> but 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 it's this is but this is the new this is the new world we're going into, which is exciting. So look, guys, check out Tom and Bettina uh Warburg at warburgsaris.com. Uh, we'll put that in the show notes. And uh yeah. we're gonna we're gonna come back for part two and we're gonna go to where the world's going to, man. I, I appreciate you very much, Tom. Thank you so much for being on the show. 
You bet. Thanks, Darius. All right, guys. We'll talk okay. to you soon. Peace yeah. out. Yeah, later, man. All right, bye-bye. You are listening to The Greatness Machine, and that's a wrap for today. Guys, The Greatness Machine is all about two things. People who are living their passions and those who are creating greatness in the world, and we feature these messages and speakers so it can help you step into your greatness within your own life and your own business. If you love what you heard, subscribe to the show on whatever podcast platform you're tuning in from, and leave us a review. We love getting reviews for the show. If the episode made you think of someone who is leveling up in their business and life, print screen it, share it with them. Leaders are the best givers, and after all, we're all here to learn from one another. You can also go to our website, www.thegreatnessmachine.com. That's www.thegreatnessmachine.com. And on there, you'll see special tools to help you scale your business faster, show notes for the episode to help you integrate the lessons, and you will also get links that came out during the show. So on there, look, you can also grab a copy of my book, The Core Value Equation, which is a resource for helping CEOs and business leaders establish core values from their teams that don't suck. And mind you, a lot of them suck. Get access to this and more at www.thegreatnessmachine.com. With that said, you guys, look, thank you so much. I appreciate you. I love you. Peace. We out of here. See you guys next time. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world, and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you wanna learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join podcast royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox or wherever you listen to your podcasts.